The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning. It's so great to see all of you this morning. Welcome to everyone here with us in the sanctuary and everyone who is online. I'm Sonia Sukowski, and I'm serving as the sabbatical minister while Vanessa Southern is on sabbatical through next Sunday. I want to welcome to the chancel this morning Reverend Dr. Rosemary Bray McNatt, president of Star King School for the Ministry, and Mari Magaloni, one of our worship associates. We have several musicians joining us along with the choir who are bringing to life the nuggets of wisdom we will be hearing about during worship, as well as the seeds that we hope to nurture in the reception by Star King School for the Ministry after worship in the chapel. We hope all of you, all of you here or on live stream have your order of service so you can follow along in worship. For those who are joining us on live stream, if you have any issues or problems at any time, please uh, know that someone is monitoring the chat and they can answer your questions. I wanna thank all of our section leaders in the choir who are offering special music today and Thank you for these beautiful flowers as well. And a quick COVID note. All of the people on the chancel have tested this morning for COVID. And while masks are no longer required, um, we want to encourage everyone to do what they need to do to feel safe and comfortable. So to my left is a section against the wall marked reserved for those who want to be in the masked only section. And I'd like to welcome Reverend Laura up. There you are. <laughs> Good morning. In the tradition of our congregation, when a member or a dear person in our community has died, we extinguish one of our chalices. And this morning I'm going to be extinguishing a ch uh, candle, excuse me, for our former executive director, Gregory Toby Meyer, who died on February 9th from prostate cancer, and we hold him and his family in our hearts and prayers. Our sermon title this morning is Storm Warning. And whenever I think of storms, I think of the metaphor that Zizi Judith Gellard shared when I was just learning about Unitarian Universalism over 25 years ago. She titled one of her books, Even in Storm, Trees Lean on Each Other. And while we might not always be able to predict or know how to weather a storm, like trees, we all do better if we know that we can lean on each other a bit. So welcome to this community, and welcome to worship. Please join me as we say the words of our chalice lighting. 
Those of you joining via live stream, if you have a chalice or candle available, we invite you to light yours as we do so here. Let's say the words printed in the order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Let us rise in spirit as we are able in body to sing our opening hymn number 128 for all that is our life. Hi, I'm Sam King, the Vice Moderator of your Board of Trustees. If this is your first time joining us in person or watching online, thank you for joining us. If you'd like to receive a copy of our weekly email newsletter, which includes a link to the order of service and the Sunday live stream, you can fill out one of our connection forms. These forms are on the welcome table outside, uh, in a pew in front of you, and also available through a link in the order of service. The order of service lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect. Please engage in any or all that are of interest to you. I wanted to call special attention to a few of these. First, the Human Rights Working Group and the UU Justice in the Middle East Committee will be screening also happening violence and oppression in the West Bank next week on Sunday, February 25th at 12.30 p.m. It's the latest in the Voices for the Holy Land film series. Food provided uh, before the showing and compassionate discussion will follow.
following the service, all of you are also invited to Sowing the Seeds Together reception in the chapel to learn more about Star King and their comprehensive campaign. There will be refreshments provided. Uh, we hope to see you there. And also, that's where our offering this morning will be going, to the Star King School for the Ministry. And now I'd like to invite Reverend Laura Shenham up for an announcement. This past Wednesday, our Unitarian Universalist Association released a press release about the violence in Gaza and urges an immediate and total ceasefire. Our human rights working group will be holding a rally on our front steps right after the service. It will be short, so you can still go to the Star King School for the Ministry reception, but we welcome you and we welcome your enthusiasm and your, your um, prayers for, for this ceasefire. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Laura. And I believe that was all that I wanted to call your attention to. Uh, so now, uh, let us take a moment to greet one another. There will be a musical cue when it's time to get back together. So this morning, our guest preacher is going to be talking about a storm, and I thought it would be fun for us to create a storm together. So the first time, we're going to do it all together. And then as we go through it, I want you to think about where you might be in that storm. Because after we do it all together, I'm going to have you find your space and see what that storm sounds like, okay? So first, let's just take a deep breath in and out. Think about the calm before the storm, right? Now, snap your fingers the drizzle, right? The drizzle of the rain. We've heard it a lot lately. Now, rub your hands together. Starting to rain a little bit more. It's definitely feeling it when you're walking down the street. Now, your legs. Now it's pouring. But we're not at the tide of it yet. We're still just in the downpour. Now your feet. Oh, now you want to be inside, right? <laughs> All right, let's bring it back down to our legs. And our hands. And our snaps. and are calm. I want you to find where you are in that storm. Are you the calm? Are you the sprinkles? Are you at the height? Where are you? Okay, I invite you to find your space and embrace it now. And let's take a deep breath in. And that is our storm. Please look in your order of service and join me in our unison covenant. Love is the spirit of this church 
and service is its prayer, this is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth and freedom, and to help one another. My son Max was small. I would take him to Texas to spend the summer with my family. We would gather at my mother's house for casual dinners that would go long into the night. After dessert, after the latest news and politics had been thoroughly dissected and argued over, we would slump into our chairs, worn out, but happy to be together and unwilling to part with each other's company, regardless of the late hour, someone would offhandedly start to reminisce about Mexico, and a round of stories would begin. Some of the stories had been told so often that they turned into collective songs. If a part was missing, someone else would take over without missing a beat. There's big magic in retelling family stories imbued with the current aspect and life stages of the people sharing it. Its meaning shrinks and expands and evolves in complexity. Now, Max, the first grandchild on both sides of the family, was hearing stories that included him, the newest chapters in the Book of Us. I've noticed an element in the tellings about our life in this country that is not present in the stories before our arrival in the U.S. Placing them in chronological order reveals a slow awakening on our part, becoming less and less romantic as we stumble time and again upon racism. The early stories from our arrival are in the vein of a comedy of manners, full of hilarious cultural misunderstandings that would surely be smoothed other, over with time and more experience. In the next phase, the stories start turning into explorations of American culture and our obligation to work on our own reactions, knowing that it would require patience and grace to find common ground with our new neighbors. After that point, in later stories, the possibility begins to dawn on us that some rough patches might 
not have been accidents after all. Then our stories tell of our dismay and when we realize the instances of having been undeniably undermined at realizing that pain had indeed been inflicted on purpose by people we trusted, that the reserve we cultivated had not been regarded as refinement, but as weakness or worse, permission. After that point, the stories become about dogged survival. Here's a story from one. My mother, a labor and delivery nurse, developed the childbirth education program, which became very popular, attracting a large number of expected parents to the hospital. Realizing how successful it was, the head of the education department decided to remove my mother and give it to a group of friends. But my mother would not go quietly. Eventually, obstetricians who supported the program came to my mother's aid, and after a ruckus, the program she worked so hard to create stayed under her direction. The boss and her posse of white nurses retaliated against my mother, going so far as to vandalize her office. Things got so heated that the hospital's chief of security, a black man, under, uh, understood the danger that my mother was in and assigned a guard to walk her to and from her car. This lasted for months. My mother did not give up. In the end, she prevailed. Como se atreven? How dare they? She'd say in dismay. Well, right now, our nation is facing thugs who want to destroy our democracy and offer the spoils on a golden platter to their voracious idol in the hope of fattening themselves by licking the crumbs he leaves behind. But we see them clearly. That's why they rail at the word woke. It means our eyes are open, our commitment to finding truth is the light that illuminates their wickedness. Let me tell you a story. This is a story about us, a story about you and me, and of why I like to linger at the table with this large, rambunctious, Unitarian, Universalist family of families, because there is always room here for one more because you value reason and consent, because you take seriously your moral obligation to serve love and justice, because you know that there is no such thing as virtue that is not socially incarnated, because you are masters of optimism, not as flight of fancy, but optimism as sound, substantial practice to be lived out in the world because you show up. You always show up. It's true that the brutes are at the door, but we are the always inclusive, ever-expanding, Unitarian Universalist family of families. We know who we are because we know who we have been, honest, principled, clear-eyed people who have everything it takes, not just to resist, but to persevere. So 
the insurrection at the Capitol. ¿Cómo se atreven? Right? invite you now to enter into a time of acknowledgement and ask affirmation.
In this moment together, we call to mind those times of failure and regret common to all of us. We remember first in silence those times when we have failed to do all that we meant to do, or through our actions, failed to be all we were meant to be. We now recall our moments of integrity, those times we have lived into our deepest values and acted as the human beings we've always dreamed of being. We choose at this moment to lay down the burden of our shortcomings and grasp the courage to begin anew. Together we affirm our capacity for goodness and grace, for freedom and purpose and joy. We are not trapped in our past, but freed by creation to live and grow today. With gratitude, we say, blessed be and amen. It's time for our offertory, and it is my pleasure to encourage you to give generously to the work of Star King School for the Ministry, and to thank you for the many years of financial, ministerial, and moral support that we receive from this congregation. Many of you know who we are, but for those who don't, our school has been an incubator of innovation and inspiration in theological education for more than 100 years, not only within Unitarian Universalism, but beyond our living tradition. Our seminary was among the earliest theological schools to institute fieldwork. Star King was the first theological school in North America to call a woman to lead a seminary, Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker. It was the first seminary to institute online education, the first to root its work in principles that counter all forms of oppression, and the first to award a graduate degree in social change. In truth, sacred social change has been at the heart of our school since it began, and so we ask today for your support so that we might continue to train Unitarian Universalists and other progressive religious leaders for the 21st century. I have so much to say about our school, so if you'd like to learn more about what we do and how you can help us do it, please join us after the service today. In the meantime, there is no gift too small or too large to make a difference to our faith and its future ministers. So for all you have done and all you will continue to do for Star King, I thank you. The offering will now gratefully be received.
It's time for our offertory, and it is my pleasure to encourage you to give generously to the work of Star King School for the ministry, and to thank you for the many years of financial, ministerial, and moral support that we receive from this congregation. Many of you know who we are, but for those who don't, our school has been an incubator of innovation and inspiration in theological education for more than 100 years, not only within Unitarian Universalism, but beyond our living tradition. Our seminary was among the earliest theological schools to institute fieldwork. 
Star King was the first theological school in North America to call a woman to lead a seminary, Reverend Dr. Rebecca Parker. It was the first seminary to institute online education, the first to root its work in principles that counter all forms of oppression, and the first to award a graduate degree in social change. In truth, sacred social change has been at the heart of our school since it began, and so we ask today for your support so that we might continue to train Unitarian Universalists and other progressive religious leaders for the 21st century. I have so much to say about our school, so if you'd like to learn more about what we do and how you can help us do it, please join us after the service today. In the meantime, there is no gift too small or too large to make a difference to our faith and its future ministers. So for all you have done and all you will continue to do for Star King, I thank you. The offering will now gratefully be received.
I want to thank the ministry and staff at First Unitarian San Francisco. Thank you for your gracious welcome to me, and I bring greetings uh, for all of you from the faculty, staff, and students at Star King School for the Ministry in Oakland, California, just across the bridge. Thank you for having us here today. When I was a little girl, 
I hated thunder and lightning. Hated it. The noise and all that flashing really upset me. And with every spring and summer weather report, I looked to my mother to reassure me. And she always did. She always told me that everything would be fine, that all that noise was just God doing his work, and that I had nothing to be afraid of. One day, many years later, after I was grown and on my own, but before I had kids of my own, I was talking to her and remembering those long ago scary storms. I don't remember what brought it up. And I asked her why thunder and lightning didn't bother her. She said, who said it didn't bother me? I hated it as much as you did. And so I was kind of astonished. I said, why would you make all those little reassuring speeches to me? And she laughed and she answered, you were a little girl. What good would it do you if we were both scared? As usual, I was left marveling at her consistent courage in the face of so many terrible things. My mother is gone now. She died six years ago this month. And though I miss her every day, there are days when I figure she lived just long enough. She lived long enough to vote for her state senator, vote to send that same state senator to the U.S. Senate, and then help to vote him into the White House twice. At least she lived long enough to see that. Not bad for a Mississippi girl with a third grade education, but a keenly civic mind and a deep Pentecostal faith. Most of all, even though I miss her with all my heart, I am so grateful that she has not lived to see what has happened in the United States. She would probably not be able to reassure me about the coming storm that all of us face at this moment just as I am not entirely sure that I can reassure you. Instead, I have come to warn you about the length and the breadth of the storm we are facing and to encourage you to prepare now with all the tools and the gifts that you have in every way that you have so that we might survive and renew our country and our democracy both here and elsewhere. The quality of my life and yours, and perhaps our actual lives, are under siege right now because the values that protect the possibilities of our lives are in jeopardy. Democracy, the freedom to govern oneself and the rights that attend it, freedom to speak one's mind, freedom to protest injustice from individuals or institutions or governments, freedom to worship or not to worship, freedom to govern one's own body, freedom to learn the truth about one's own country, even when the truth hurts. All these freedoms are under siege, under organized siege right now. As a woman of African descent, I know this swing toward anti-democratic values has been happening all around the world. 
as leaders addicted to power seek a kind of control over their citizenry that no single human being has the right to demand. And though there was once a time when leaders at least gave lip service to the idea of America as the beacon of liberty in an unfree world, there now exists a significant element of political forces that have embraced a dangerous Christian nationalism that threatens our faith and our families and our lives as we know it. And that threat is real, ongoing, and organized. I want to continue to stress the word organized. Allow me to draw your attention to the work of the Heritage Foundation and its most recent project, Mandate for Leadership, the Conservative Promise. It's part of the Foundation's Presidential Transition Project 2025. This 920-page document is a conservative blueprint for a takeover of the United States government after the 2024 presidential election and the installation of what might easily amount to a Christian nationalist government. Now, those of us who already engage in a struggle against white supremacy culture, and I include Star King in that struggle, already believe that Christian nationalists have long been at work through conservative institutions and individuals. But the last seven to 10 years and the events surrounding that time have made this conservative freedom fever dream of the last 50 years more accessible and perhaps inevitable. Emboldened by these erosions of democratic norms in the United States, an erosion that they helped to fund, the Heritage Foundation, always more conservative than the American people at large, now feels free to say the quiet part out loud. The conservative promise outlines four broad goals that they believe will decide America's future. Restoring the family is the centerpiece of American life and protecting our children. Dismantling the administrative state and returning self-governance to the American people. Defending the nation's sovereignty, borders, and bounty against global threat and securing our God-given individual rights to live freely, what our Constitution calls the blessings of liberty. That's taken from their executive summary. At first glance, that doesn't sound terrible. After all, my family is the center of my life. I too believe in self-governance and the capacity of people to decide for themselves. I believe in protecting my country anything that would disrupt my way of life or the lives of my neighbors. And I believe in the right to live freely and enjoy the blessings of liberty. So they're all noble goals. But context is everything. Here is a portion of their introduction. I quote, the next conservative president must make the institutions of American civil society hard targets for woke culture warriors. This starts with deleting the terms sexual orientation and gender identity, diversity, equity, and inclusion, gender, gender equality, gender equity, 
gender awareness, gender sensitive, abortion, reproductive health, reproductive rights, and any other term used to deprive Americans of their First Amendment rights to be removed out of every federal rule, agency regulation, contract, grant, regulation, and piece of legislation that exists." End quote. Yet here is the part where the religious leader in me turned cold. Their interpretation of the Founder's intent in the matter of liberty and happiness. I quote, when the founders spoke of the pursuit of happiness, what they meant might be understood today in essence as the pursuit of blessedness. That is, an individual must be free to live as his creator ordained him to flourish. Our Constitution grants each of us the liberty to do not what we want, but what we ought. They believe that they only have two years and one shot to get this right. They think that there are enemies at home and that there is no margin for error. Those enemies are us, you know. Time is running short, they say. If we fail the fight, the very idea of America might be lost. The conservative promise represents the best effort of the conservative movement and the next conservative president's last opportunity to save our republic. They are working to save the country from people like you and like me. And it's painful to acknowledge because we are not necessarily people who are itching for a fight. But we have to understand that there are groups with whom we are at war. The passages I read to you from Mandate for Leadership is a joint project of 50 or more conservative organizations, some of whom I'd never heard of before, but some of whom you might recognize. The Alliance Defending Freedom, a group that has targeted the parents of transgender children and their efforts to find gender-affirming care. The Honest Election Project, part of the far fraudulent attempt to undermine confidence in the country's voting systems. The American Legislative Exchange Council, many of us know it as ALEC, they have infiltrated state legislatures for years, drafted legislation that limits the rights of unions and support voter suppression bills. No matter what their specific focus, all these organizations have joined forces to write policies, recruit conservatives for cabinet and under cabinet roles, and prepare to dismantle government as we understand it today. And they believe that they have been called by God to do this work. I urge you to go online and look at it. It's all in public. 920 pages. A detailed plan to create a country that is anathema to everything we believe in as people of liberal religious faith. So what will we do? 
I think we must prepare ourselves for a long fight. It's no longer about who gets elected president, though that is supremely important. And so there are things we must do to prepare ourselves. I urge you to begin to strengthen your spiritual practices. You will need grounding. This is a long fight. We are progressive and faithful people, and we're animated by this vision of beloved community that sometimes grows dim before us. In order to sustain ourselves, we have to ground ourselves. And I don't think we should be picky about what it is that helps us ground ourselves in spiritual practice. But we must be more consistent, not only for the work, but for our own sake. Seek out the practice that brings you to your center and stay with it, because this fight will take time. You can't resist what you don't recognize, and so please take a page from the poet and activist Maya Angelou, who says that when someone tells you who they are the first time, believe them. There's nothing happening right now, nothing, that we were not told would happen, but we didn't believe it. We thought everybody was exaggerating, but they weren't. Believe what your eyes have seen and what your ears have heard. And we must organize, taking our cues from marginalized people, those who live with the most vulnerable communities within those communities, are very conscious of the dangers. Pay attention to how those communities are being treated. Be prepared to partner with them, to defend them, to fund them. One of the strengths of the conservative movement has been and continues to be their capacity to fund organizing groups for years and years and years. They don't fund projects. They keep the lights on. They keep people employed. They keep people ready for a moment like this. Believe in the capacity, though, for people to change, because everyone is not like the people organizing this group. There are people who want what's right for our nation and its people, but they get conflicting information, and they have their own fears and insecurities, and they're not sure what to do. We who struggle and resist need to do it in a way that speaks to those people out of our religious values. This is not just a political fight. This is a spiritual fight. We must learn to make the case for the inherent worth and dignity of every person that is our religious heritage. We have to fight for the importance of religious freedom, religious freedom that is both our spiritual and our democratic heritage. Be relentless. There was a time when political matters functioned on compromise, on working things out and talking things through. And for now, that time has passed. It may return again, but for now, we cannot allow people to distract us. Our religious values are real values, and we need to treat them that way. 
and struggle for them that way and encounter people with them in that way. We need to keep our self-perspective. You'll notice earlier I did a meditation before the sermon. It's something I wrote in my days as a parish minister in response to things I had noticed as part of my pastoral responsibilities. Congregants were living with mistakes that were a terrible burden to them, and yet they had no place to put it down. We who are preparing to demand so much accountability from this country have to be willing to be accountable ourselves. And so we need to create opportunities for that individually and collectively. Above all else, we must prepare for the long game. We are seeing the results of a battle plan that has been more than 60 years in the making, fueled by everything that we regard as progress. These groups want to return to a time when people like me and likely you knew their place. They have been organizing forever. They have committed to funding this fight forever. And so we must be committed forever. We may not live to see the results of our fight, and we must be prepared for that reality. But I always think about the civil rights movement, the movement that gave life to my dreams and aspirations that began when I was only a baby in my mother's arms. I think about Montgomery, Alabama, a place where for 381 days, people walked to work, worked all day, walked to the church, prayed for hours, went back home, went to sleep, and got up and did it over and over and over and over. If we want this country, if we want our lives, we must begin with prayer, meditation, and strengthening of our spirits. And then we must go toe-to-toe with the people who want to take our country away from us. It's painful to talk about this because I don't want to fight. That's not my default position. But a fight is what we are in. And if we don't understand that, we cannot win it. All of these things are meant to give us clarity, to assess our best path for justice and love and the world that we want. It will not be seamless and it will not be perfect and it will take a long time. But it is the only way that I can imagine standing against this storm that is surely already on its way. May we be prepared. Blessed be and amen.
Our task is clear. Our paths are many. But our work is for not only ourselves, but for the ages. Let us begin today. Amen.